0: Well, it's good to be with you again this morning. It's been a privilege to come down a couple of other times and share the word with you. And here I am a third time. Uh, We're going to open up God's word and see what the Lord has for us in it. So if you've got your Bibles electronically or hard copy, turn or scroll over, we're going to be in the book of 2 Peter this morning. 2 Peter And as you turn there, let's all pray. And then we'll ask God to bless our time. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that once again we've been able to gather together in this place. We gather together freely. We gather together to worship you. We gather together in the name of your Son who has brought us together and who has brought many of us to know you by dying and rising for us. We gather together in the Spirit. For you indwell those of us who belong to you and you're indwelling your church. We gather together in your name, the one true God, and we pray that as we look into your word this morning, you would feed us. I know there are many here that have a relationship with you, Father, through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray that you would use your word to build them up in their faith And give them the ability and the courage and the strength to continue to stand firm in faith as they live out their life before you in the midst of this little community here in Hollister. There may be some with us this morning who don't have like faith with us. I want to thank you for them. I thank you that they're here. I know that they're not here by accident. I know that you orchestrated events so that they would be here today at this place, at this time. And they know that you've got things that you want them to hear from your word. And so I pray for them that they would have ears to hear and a heart to receive and that this might be the day when they trust you, Lord Jesus Christ, and come into relationship with God the Father. And then there are some here that are wavering. Faith is hard. The Christian walk can be difficult. There are many voices that call for our attention. I pray for those that might be in that situation this morning for whatever reason, that your word might be a sure word to them and that they would be built up in their faith so that they would be able to live more stably in Christ. And then finally, Father, I pray for myself. Please give me grace to speak and teach the word this morning. Help me exalt Christ. Help me be true to the text. Help me feed your people. Help me honor you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, in So, by the grace of God, we can do all things, right? So, in March 2020, our oldest son flew from the East Coast, where he was stationed in the military, into Los Angeles International Airport, LAX. And my second son, myself, and a dear friend of ours in the, in the, in the faith, picked him up at the airport. And the reason that he flew out here was to join us because the four of us planned on attending the Shepherds Conference, which is held year to year down at Grace Community Church in Southern California. And we were able to attend the Shepherds Conference that year. It was a real time of refreshing spiritually, a time of building up. It was also a wonderful time of fellowship with my two sons and our friend, and then other people that we know. And after it was over, then we headed back up to the Morgan Hill area. Um, We drove up on March 7th, and then I preached from our pulpit on March 8th. And then two days later, on March 10th, our county health officer locked our county down because of the COVID-19, whatever you want to call it. And Santa Clara County, we learned later, was the strictest county in the strictest state. And so that means we were the strictest county in all of the country, I suppose. Um, And so that was March 2020, uh, March 2020, um, in response to COVID 19. And um, we had the lockdown. That made for an interesting time in the life of the church. I don't know how it was down here, but where I was, it was a very interesting time in the life of the church. But in addition to that, 2020 was an election year. And so then that was a second factor making for an interesting time in the life of the church. And then in May of 2020, there was a man that was killed in Minneapolis, and Black Lives Matter rose to prominence. And then that was a third factor that made for an interesting time in the life of the church. And my observation looking back on it is that that was the most difficult and strange and divisive time that I had ever experienced as a minister of the gospel in what was then my 33rd year of pastoral ministry. Now, why was it so interesting? It was so interesting because as different things began to unfold in our culture, in our county, in our city, people began to side out behind various causes. And so eventually we had maskers versus anti-maskers. And we had pro-vaccine people and anti-vaxxers. And then we had the silent ones that really didn't want to say anything. They were trying to make up their minds. We had people squaring off behind their select presidential candidate whether they were Republicans or Democrats, or choosing to vote nonpartisan. We had people that had all sorts of opinions regarding how we should respond to the death of George Floyd, to Black Lives Matter, to critical race theory. And the amazing thing is that in the life of not just our congregation, but in, a, in the life of a lot of congregations, not just across the Bay Area, but across the country, All of those factors were causing Christians to divide out against each other. And that was was a phenomenon that I'd never experienced. You know, Christians usually, if they're going to divide out, are going to divide out around some doctrinal issue. Calvinists versus Arminians. Arminians. Pre-tribulation rapture versus post-tribulation rapture versus mid-tribulation rapture versus no rapture, whatever. That's what usually Christians divide out about. But the interesting thing is that when it came to doctrinal discussions and things of that sort, um, people weren't breaking fellowship. It seems that as followers of Jesus Christ, we would be able to have differing opinions about certain teachings of Scripture that were non-essentials. By non-essentials, I mean not foundational to the faith without breaking fellowship with one another. But what we experienced as pastor elders was that was not the case in the churches revolving around these other areas. So you had maskers judging anti-maskers and vice versa but choosing not to fellowship with them anymore. We had people changing churches because our congregation chose not to take a particular political stand because we really feel strongly that where Paul talks in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 about how his task was to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified, when we chose as a leadership team to focus on that, and not on some of the swirling peripheral areas, we had people get offended at us because we didn't take the right stand about the right issue at the right time. And so it was a very, very difficult time to say the least. And the Lord got us through it, and then 2021 came, and we're thinking, oh, it'll be better And then there was the storming of the Capitol building. And it just seemed like COVID and the crises from 2020 were the gifts that just kept on giving and giving and giving. And I don't know what you experienced here. Now, I understand San Benito County was a markedly different county in their response to things than Santa Clara County was. But talking to pastor friends of mine across the Bay Area and others in other parts of the state of the country... Uh, the scenarios that I just described held true to a greater or lesser extent. And so that was a description of what I would call societal upheaval. Things were departing from what we had always considered normative. And whenever that takes place, other people begin to ask certain questions. And so I had people ask me, is this the, the, the beginning of the end of the world? Or do you think Jesus Christ is going to come back at any moment? Are we in the last days? Is this the precursor to the great tribulation? People were asking those questions. And that's not surprising when 9-11 took place and the terrorists flew planes into the World Trade Center towers, uh, I got similar questions at that time. Do you think that Jesus Christ is on the brink of returning? And so people were asking those questions during the 2020 crises as well. Uh, so those questions, I think, are inevitable. Whenever societal trouble arises, some people are going to ask those questions And so I always try to answer those questions. How did I answer them? Well, sometimes I would say, yes, Jesus is going to come back in your lifetime. Now think about the magnitude of that statement. Jesus is going to come back for sure in your lifetime. And that person was usually taken aback. Well, what do you mean? How can you say that? To which I would respond, I say that because either Jesus Christ is going to come back in glory during your lifetime, or he's going to come for you in death, whichever comes first, and maybe both, but the question is, are you ready? Because sure as shooting A hundred years from now, you will have met him face to face. And that's a good question for us to ask ourselves even today. Uh, The crises of 2020, 2021 have passed for a time. Rest assured, there will be societal upheaval again, probably in the near future. But the question always should be, when I meet Jesus Christ face to face, Will I be ready to meet him personally and then give an account of myself when I do? So, if you're not a Christian this morning, I just want to impress upon you the importance of asking that question for yourself. Our life is like a vapor. And a good way to illustrate that is to take a wooden match, one of those strike on the side of the box wooden matches, strike a match when you get home, let the flame burn for a little while, blow it out, watch how long it takes for the smoke to dissipate, and that's what your life is on the backdrop of eternity which means that you're gonna spend more time living in the eternal state in one place or another in the presence of Christ or banished from him than you spend living in this state, which means asking yourself whether you're ready to meet the Lord Jesus Christ face-to-face is the most important question you can ask yourself if you're not a follower of Christ. And obviously, if you are a follower of Christ, you've already asked that question and answered it. You put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So sometimes that's the way that I would answer. And it would always get us into a good conversation, me and the person that had asked me. More often than not, however, I would respond by saying, first, nobody knows the day and the hour when Jesus Christ is going to return. Nobody knows that. Nobody can predict it. And if you come across some guy or some gal that thinks they know, and they've written a book or a pamphlet, and they're sure that on this date, in this year, Jesus is going to come back, just don't buy the book, don't buy the pamphlet. If somebody gave it to you, throw it away, because they don't know. No one knows that day and hour. Second, we can see signs that his actual return might be near. We live in a time, a day and an age, where we've got signs that are pointing to the coming of Christ that have never been in existence before. One of the major signs is the existence of a little bitty nation in the Middle East called Israel that went out of existence as a nation around 70 AD and right after that and came back into existence in the late 1940s. And no other nation in history has ever done that. And that's a sign that the return of Christ is closer than it's ever been before. And I could go into other signs, but I don't want to do that this morning. Uh, We can see signs that his actual return is near. I'll say that to people. And the third thing that I say is that we do know how as Christians and as a church we ought to be living as we pass our time awaiting the return of Jesus Christ. And you know, brothers and sisters in Christ, the thing that is needed the most from us as Christians and as a church, especially during times of societal upheaval, is to keep in mind first that Jesus Christ can come back at any moment. His return is imminent. We do not know when it's going to be. And second, to prioritize... How we ought to live as Christians, how we ought to live as followers of Christ in light of his soon return, in light of these last days, in light of Christ's eventual return in glory. And so the question that I want to try to answer this morning is along those lines. How then should a Christian live in light of the last days? How should we live in light of Christ's imminent return? And truthfully, there are many, many New Testament texts that we could look to in order to answer this question, but I want to allow the Apostle Peter to answer that question for us this morning, to give address to that question. And so if you've already got your Bibles turned to 2 Peter Uh, that's where we're going to camp out this morning because in this second letter written to the church in general by Simon Peter we are given three focuses, three practices if you will which we should walk in as Christians in light of Christ's return so what I want to do is give you those three and then we're going to unpack one of them after I read a text so what are those three? well what second peter gave to the church when this letter was originally written and what it gives to us is first of all something to pursue secondly it gives us people to protect against and third it gives us something to patiently wait for and so there are 3 p words so if you can remember, pursue, and protect, and patiently wait, you have an outline that generally you can hang the book of Second Peter from. And that's where we're going to go as we look at Second Peter. So let's stand and read a portion of this letter, written by Simon Peter, the apostle of Christ, and then I'll have you be seated and we'll jump into unpacking some of it. So we know from verse 1 of chapter 1 who the letter's from Simon or Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And now I'm going to focus on the next verses, verses 3 down through verse 11. Peter wrote, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us. Now listen to this. By which he has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And then he writes, verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ." For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ, the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Now, in these particular verses, we've got that first point that I was mentioning. Um, we are told that there is something for us as Christians to be pursuing as we live our lives in light of the imminent return of Jesus Christ. And what is that that we should be pursuing? I could say it like this. Peter calls the Christians of the first century, and he calls us through his letter, to be pursuing growth in Christ. That's what verses 3 through 11 are about. So if you're in Christ this morning, if you've come to have faith in Christ sometime in your past, whether it was recently or in the distant past, In light of the imminent return of Jesus Christ, and the apostles believed Christ could return at any moment, in light of the imminent return of Jesus Christ, you and I are called to pursue growth in Christ. And I want you to notice what is here. I could unpack this text by saying this. Verses 3 and 4 is the foundation. And those verses tell us who we are in Jesus Christ. All of us have an identity as individual people, and we've gotten that identity from our family, or if we came from a broken family, from that broken family. We have an identity that we have from the world in which we live, but but if we are Christians, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, that identity is no longer the priority in our lives. We have received a new identity in Jesus Christ, and that's what Peter's talking about in verse 3 and in verse 4. Listen to it again. It says, His divine power has granted to us Before I was a Christian, I was a victim and identified by the corruption that was in the world because of sinful desire. After being saved, after being regenerated by God's spirit, I was set free from that. You were too if you're a Christian this morning. So that that's no longer your identity. And what Peter says to these believers of the first century, he says to us. And verse 3 and 4 gives us what our identity is now. And we have been given precious and very great promises so that through them we can become partakers of the divine nature. Why? Because we escaped the corruption that kept us from that in the past. And the way that that takes place is through our union with Jesus Christ. And so verses 3 and 4 give the foundation for what follows. Now verses 5 through 7 tell us what to pursue because our lives are founded on this new foundation. Because we've come to have a new identity in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then verses 8 through 11 tell us why this is so important. So let's unpack this. Because of who we are in Christ, we are to make every effort to supplement our faith. Notice what it says in verse 5. For this very reason, in other words, because verse 3 and 4 is true of us, for that very reason, we are to make every effort to supplement our faith. And then Peter gives us a list of things that we are to supplement our faith with. And if I want to summarize these character qualities, I can say that we are to supplement our faith by growing in Christian character. Or if I want to use the last verse in 2 Peter, 2 Peter 3.18, Peter closes his letter by saying, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so... We are to supplement our faith by growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter lays down seven qualities. Seven qualities which as Christians we should be pursuing and with which we should be supplementing our faith with. Now, if you're familiar with the plan of salvation, some of you at least should be having a question in your mind about right now regarding what in the world Peter's talking about. And your thought, your question might run something like this. Wait a second. I heard that I can be saved Through faith in Jesus Christ alone, works have nothing to do with it. And so why is Peter saying what he's saying? Why is he saying supplement your faith? Isn't faith enough? The biblical answer for that, and if you're asking that question, it's a good question to ask. The biblical answer to that question is this. When it comes to being saved from sins and death and the grave and being made right with God, our salvation comes by God's grace, through faith, in Christ alone, apart from works. And we call that theologically being justified by faith. That's absolutely true. And so if you're a Christian this morning, when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, your sins, not in part, but the whole, were considered nailed to the cross, and you don't bear them anymore because God counted you righteous because you put faith in his spotless son and because of Christ's merits, which are awarded to your account as a result of you believing on Christ, you were made absolutely, totally, perfectly, completely right with God through Christ. And that's how anybody gets saved. Again, that's called justification. We are justified before a holy God through faith in a holy Christ, even though we are not holy in and of ourselves. And so if that's the case, why is Peter talking about supplementing our faith with these things? Well, whenever you see an apostle write something like this, then you know that he's talking not about what one must be done to be made right with God, but a a result of having been made right with God And the biblical writers call this sanctification. Sanctification. There's sanctification, there's justification, there's glorification. Sanctification is what takes place after a person believes on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And put simply, it's this once you and I came to faith in Christ, we were made totally right with God and we receive the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit begins to work in our lives, begins to work in our hearts. And the the, the thing the Holy Spirit does is that he begins to compel us toward holiness, and he begins to help us be conformed to what Jesus is like. And the theological term for that is sanctification. Our faith sets us apart from the world. We're saved, we're forgiven, we're delivered. And then the Holy Spirit starts this process of making us like him. He's called the Holy Spirit, and so he compels to holiness. And so what in the world is Peter talking about? He's just encouraging these believers to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Christ. Or another way to say it would be, he's encouraging them to be sanctified and to grow and to become more like Jesus. That's what this is about. Now, Peter says it in this way here. Paul says it in another way in another place. I'll talk about that in a moment. But let's look at these seven qualities um, which we as Christians should be pursuing. We are to supplement our faith with virtue. What in the world is virtue? The simplest definition of virtue based on the Greek behind that translation, is goodness, or we could say moral excellence. That's what virtue is about. It has to do with moral excellence. And so if I'm supplementing my faith, I'm going to be growing in moral excellence. Then the next quality is knowledge. Notice what he says. He says, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue or moral excellence excellence, and virtue with knowledge. What is he talking about? We can have a basic knowledge of subjects, topics. We can have a basic knowledge of scripture, but the knowledge spoken of here goes a little bit deeper than that. It speaks of correct insight into all circumstances. And I read that little definition from Christa Marker's commentary on Second Peter. Um, it has to do with what happens when we intake knowledge. As we intake the knowledge of God through the scriptures, it begins to form our thought processes and our desires so that we begin to gain correct insight into all circumstances. Supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control. We know what self-control is about. But I can summarize it by saying this. When a person is growing in self-control, then they are growing in their ability to abstain from things that are not wholesome, that are not life-giving, that are not right before God, And they are able to give themselves to what is wholesome. So the self-control works in our lives so that we're able to abstain from what is not wholesome. So that we can pursue what is wholesome. Now there are all sorts of things that are not wholesome. That we could talk about. But if you get into scripture and you start looking at what scripture warns against as examples of the works of the flesh, our sinful tendency, then you're going to see a list of what's not wholesome. Let me give you an example so that you can have a visual of what I'm talking about. Keep your finger in 2 Peter and turn over to Galatians chapter 5. If you get into Galatians chapter 5, Paul writes in chapter five nineteen what the works of the flesh are, and he says that they're evident. Now, he's going to give a list of things, and I submit to you, brothers and sisters, that these types of lists tell us things that are not wholesome, they're not life-giving, they're contrary to God, they're contrary to what God would have for his children, for his daughters, and for his sons. And so Paul writes in Galatians 5.19, now the works of the flesh are evident. Now listen to this list. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Sensuality is living for the senses. A person can be a foodie that's addicted to food so that he or she can't stop eating whatever they see as good And that is every bit as much sensuality as sexual immorality is. Because that's feeding one's senses in an inordinate way. And so sensuality, idolatry. John Calvin used to say that the heart is an idol factory. There are all sorts of things that we can produce in our lives that we allow to take the place of the worship of God. Now, I don't mean take the place of coming to church on Sunday and singing songs and listening to the Bible and talking to each other. You see, that may or may not be a time of worship of God. Because if I have something in my life that takes precedent over the Lord and his will for me, that something is what is more important to me than the God that I'm called to love with my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Do you understand what I'm saying? And that's what an idol is. It's anything that takes precedent as first place in one's life. It can be a husband. It can be a wife. It can be a boyfriend. It can be a girlfriend. It can be children. It can be parents. It can be a car. It can be a career. It can be anything that has number one place over God. Sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, Oh, me. These were so active in some evangelical churches back in 2020 and 21. Enmity, strive, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Um, those would be examples of things that are not wholesome. And so self-control, which, by the way, is a fruit of the Spirit, gives one the ability to abstain from what isn't wholesome so that they can pursue what is. And then we are to add to self-control steadfastness. Uh, Some versions say patience. Steadfastness, patience, perseverance is the ability to keep going under a load, under a trial, keeping faith in Christ, keeping Christ as the focus. That's what perseverance is about. Perseverance is what a marathon runner must have in order to break the tape. Perseverance is what we must have in order to travel to the celestial city and make it to the celestial city. It's a fruit of true faith. So steadfastness. And then we're to add to steadfastness godliness. What is godliness about? Godliness has to do with right thinking about God and about ourselves and right thinking about God and our living, thinking like Christ. So our minds have to be formed by God's word in order to live godly lives before the Lord. And then we're to add to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. Now, it seems like those last two in this list of seven are talking about the same thing. Actually, they're not. Brotherly kindness has to do with the love that we have for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ within the church. And love has to do with affection for everyone else. And so, Peter is talking about the love that takes place within the body of Christ. And he's talking about the love that we have toward those that are outside the body of Christ. And it's so important that we walk in brotherly affection, brotherly love, because that's the only thing Jesus said that people would look at and know that we're Christians. That's in John 13, 34, and 35, by the way. It's really interesting. Jesus didn't say, hey, let me tell you guys how people are going to know that you're Christians. You're going to have all your doctrinal I's dotted and T's crossed. You're all going to be from the same doctrinal camp. He didn't say anything about that. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm a theolog. I love theology. I love to study doctrine. There are doctrines that are hills that I will die on. There are doctrines that are foundational to all of our faith that cannot be compromised. But Jesus wasn't talking about that. My belief system is not what shows other people that I am a Christian. Your belief system is not what shows other people that you're a Christian. What shows the world that we are Christians is how we love each other in Christ. And that's the great commandment that Jesus gave. John chapter 13, 34 and 35. Write that down and read it for yourself. Now, that's what brotherly kindness or brotherly affection is about, love for fellow Christians. Now, that was badly needed during COVID. How in the world could true believers in Christ break fellowship with other true believers in Christ over whether that person masked or not? But it happened across our country. And I can say this because I'm not from Grace Church here. Maybe it happened here. I don't know. But to the extent that it happened, you were out of step with the Spirit, my friends. Love is affection for everyone else. Love is affection for everyone else. And some people would say, now listen, who are we supposed to love that aren't Christians? Everybody. Christ does. When Jesus said to his disciples, it has been said to you that you should love your friends and hate your enemies, this is in the Sermon on the Mount, and then he turned around and said, but I say to you, love your enemies? Brother, sister, that basically says that everybody that comes into our life should be a recipient of the love that we've received from Christ. Because I'm called to love my enemies, I'm called to love everybody else. Does that make sense? It's very important. Now, I want you to get the picture that Peter paints here. Our faith is that which trusts in Jesus Christ as our King, our Lord, and Savior. Our faith is what saves us. Or I should say the object of our faith is what saves us. When we learn that while we were still sinners, Christ had already died for us. And we realize on a personal level that when Jesus Christ suffered on the cross, he was doing so to make a payment for our personal sins. When we come to realize that he died for our sins, was buried, and then rose again so that we might be justified before the Father. And we put faith in Christ. That's when we become Christians. And our faith saves us. We're justified before God by faith. But Peter is saying we're not to remain there. We are to grow in the grace that brought us into the true faith in Christ in the first place. All living things grow. It's a law of nature. All living things grow. And so it is spiritually as well. The seven qualities Peter lists out gives us a picture of what we are to grow into, what we are to be growing into. And as I said earlier, this is called sanctification. Now listen, Paul encouraged the same to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. And here's what that verse says written to Timothy so long ago, said, um, Paul wanted Timothy to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart while fleeing from youthful lusts, while fleeing from youthful desires. And so Timothy was to have self-control. That is, he was able, was to be able to abstain from what was not wholesome. He was to flee from youthful desires, youthful lusts, And he was to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And he was told who he was to do it with, those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Um, That's the same as what Peter is saying, only Paul didn't give Timothy as an extensive a list. And so that's the gist of these first verses here. And then a question arises. The next question is, how does a Christian supplement their faith with these qualities? How in the world do we do this? Do we walk outside after service this morning and say, I lack self control? I want it. We have it. Well, that's not the way it works. Let me give you an illustration, though, that I think will help you get your head around how we're called to supplement our faith. How does a Christian supplement their faith with these qualities? How does a fruit tree produce fruit? How many of you have fruit trees? How many of you, you got fruit trees, you've got fruit trees? If I'd asked that at home, a lot of people would raise their hands. But that's okay. I don't want to cap on you. But how does a fruit tree produce fruit? And why might a fruit tree be barren? Given the right amount of sun, the right amount of nutrition, the right amount of water, Plus pruning, a fruit tree will bear fruit in and of itself. You follow that? Given the right amount of sun, the right amount of water, the right amount of nutrition, with pruning, a fruit tree will bear fruit in and of itself. Now, here's what's important to keep in mind. If you're a Christian this morning, you are one of Christ's fruit trees. You are one of Christ's fruit trees. So you have to have the son, S-O-N, son. You have to have the son. And faith in him is to have the son. And you have to have faith in him, the son, S-O-N, in order to gain all these things. Ultimately, he, by the Spirit, produces these things in us. Having the Son, we have to have the right nutrition. What is the right nutrition? Well, there are many scriptures that address that, but one of the key places that it's addressed is in the very first Psalm. And if you know what Psalm 1 says, you'll know that the opening verses, verses 1 through 3, says something like that. this. Blessed is he who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. So that's discerning what's unwholesome and avoiding it. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. Its leaf also will not wither, and whatsoever he does will prosper. Look at Psalm 1. I want you to see this on the page. And as you're turning there, and I'm turning there, I want to just give you a side note lesson. Be the type Christian that tests what you hear by the word of God. Be the type Christian that tests what you hear by the word of God. The only authority that a minister of the gospel, a preacher of the gospel has, is proclamation of the word of God. The authority is in the word, not in the man. The Holy Spirit gives authority for men to speak his word, but they're channels only, mouthpieces only. So you should test what you hear by the word of God. Now listen to Psalm 1. I'm going to read it. This is in the ESV. The reason I want you to read it is because when I quote a verse from memory, I mix versions, and that's never good. (laughs) Here's what it says, "'Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord.'" And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. That's where you get the right nutrition. If you've got the sun, S-O-N, in your life, then the way you get the right nutrition for yourself as Christ's fruit tree is to feed, 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 feed on the fertilizer, which is the word of God. And over time, the word of God shapes and molds the heart and mind and empowers us to begin to think Christ's thoughts after him. And brothers and sisters, some people say over the years, they've said to me, well, I'm not a reader. In the 21st century, you have no excuse not to be in the word. I'll tell you why. You can listen to scripture. You can get a Bible on Audible and listen to it. You can play the Bible in your, whatever your electronic media is. There's no reason for a believer not to be in taking the word and taking the word and taking the word. And that's the nutrition, when applied by the Spirit, that builds us up. Without it, you will not grow. Third, water. What is the water about? Uh, Prayer for Christ to create in us the qualities which we are to supplement our faith with. And prayer for Christ to create in us a clean heart. And prayer for Christ to reveal to us if there is any wicked way within us so that we can confess it and forsake it and turn it over to him. And so that he will empower us to walk in the spirit. And so you've got to have the sun, S-O-N. You've got to have nutrition, the word. You've got to have water, which is prayer in the spirit to Christ. And then finally, as a fruit tree needs pruning, so we need pruning. Now, how does the Lord prune us? That's what tests and trials about. Let me tell you something. The situation that arose in 2020 and 2021 was the most intense time of pruning of Christ's church and individual believers that I've ever witnessed back then in my 33 years as a pastor. That's what was happening. And those tests and trials were revealing all kinds of stuff in people's hearts and all kinds of things in churches. I know of churches that if you were to attend, you would hear almost all politics in the message and very little gospel. Today, that's a departure. That is a departure that will not save. Pruning. The tests and trials which push you deeper in trusting Christ while revealing to you the idols in your heart. Listen, suffering always reveals idolatry. When things don't go our way, we always learn quickly what is most important to us. And if it's Christ, that comes about. If it's not Christ, that's proven too. And if we're Christians, Christ does that to us so that we can see he's not number one in our lives so that we can turn from what is and get back on the path walking with him. And it is as we as Christians have enough of the sun, S-O-N, and nutrition from the word and watering in prayer and pruning through trials that virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and love will be increasing in our lives day after day, week after week, month after month, until Christ comes back, or we go home to be with him, whichever comes first. So for those who were already growing in grace in this way, 2020, 2021 were mere hiccups. Just a little bitty bumps in the road. And he or she just kept going. Traveling to the celestial city. With their eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of their faith. Because they are able to have right insight into what was happening. They were able to discern what was Wholesome. Um, versus what was not. They were able to love fellow Christians and others. They were able to persevere in the trial and view the tough times through the grid of Christ's will. For those who were weak in these things, trial and trouble arose. Some fell away completely. Others broke fellowship. Others gave into fear. They fell not out of salvation, by the way, Because the true Christian can't do that. But they fell out of fellowship with others and sometimes out of fellowship with Christ as they got caught up in secondary matters. And some are still in that space. Now, verse 8 and 9 show why this is important. I'm going to read it and then I'm going to be done. Verse 8, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind. Having forgotten that he is cleansed, was cleansed from his former sins, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. As we practice these qualities, the assurance that we have of our standing with Christ gets stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. And stronger. And we won't be tossed to and fro by the winds. And so, the first principle for Christians to apply as we live in light of the last days and in light of Christ's return is to make every effort to grow in God's grace. To make every effort to increase in Christian character by supplementing our faith with these things that Peter wrote about. And as we do, we'll stand firm in faith. And as we do, we'll be fruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if those, that was the first P, what about the second and the third? How much time do you have? <laughs> Kidding. Listen, as we pursue growth in the Lord Jesus Christ... Growth in grace. Peter also tells us that we must protect against false prophets. That's chapter two. As we patiently wait for the return of Christ. That's the last half of chapter three. And may the Lord give grace that all of us are found walking in those three P's. Join with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we could be together this morning once again and look at this simple text and just kind of unpack it. And I want to pray for each of us that are in the auditorium that know you, the one true God, through Jesus Christ who you sent, that you would enable us to be supplementing our faith with all these qualities. And, Father, we know that we're weak, and we know that as much as we might supplement it, will be imperfect at best. But we also know that as we walk in the Spirit, your Spirit empowers us to grow in grace. And growth in grace looks like what Peter lays out. Help us do that. I pray for this congregation that each individual Christian here would be able to be walking in these ways. And I pray also that you would grow the church more and more into these qualities for your glory's sake. Until you come back. Or those that are here go going to be with you. Whichever comes first. Finally I pray for those who might not be Christians. I pray that your spirit would get hold of hearts. And draw them to faith in Christ. As they think about Jesus. And eventually standing before him. Please grant that. We thank you now in Jesus name. Amen. So I want to give a benediction as we dismiss. I pray that as we go our separate ways today and as we live our lives through the coming week, that the Lord would so work in each of our hearts that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts would be found acceptable in his sight because he is our king, he's our prince, he's our Lord, he's our redeemer. May God empower us to walk in his ways. And if Jesus doesn't come back between now and next Sunday, may he bring all of us back together to worship together again. God bless you. You're dismissed.